Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground, alternative activists, empowerment, talk radio, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? As you honor our forefathers and foremothers, I urge you to honor our living heroes. When you honor the names of Nat Turner, Harriet Tubman, and Malcolm X, I urge you to honor the names of Geronimo Gijaga, Sundiata Akoli, Matulu Shakur, and Mumia Abu-Jamal. America's chickens! Coming home to roost. Violence begets violence. Hatred begets hatred. And terrorism begets terrorism. Our common ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Thank you for being with us. Stay tuned. And good evening. Thank you for coming to visit with us and stick with us until midnight tonight here on this January 21st day of 2012. I'm Janice Graham and thank you um, for your listenership. We appreciate your loyalty uh, to independent Alternative Activists Empowerment Talk Radio. We are enjoying tonight what we call our common ground Saturday night open mic. But I would be remiss in pausing to pay tribute to one of my favorite all-time artists and celebrities. And she was a celebrity for those of you who might be a little bit too young to know Etta James. We lost her on yesterday, and um, her music was some of the most powerful music that we have contributed to the global music world from this country. She was a vocalist. She was also a writer. She was also a musician, and many people do not know that Miss Etta, as I call her, was uh, a pianist, and uh, I understand she played a pretty mean saxophone from time to time. And it is my honor and pleasure to be able to offer a tribute not only to her music but to her life. We'll tell you more about her um, 
when we um, come back from this musical journey on the life, the legacy, and the music of Etta James. You're listening to Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. And I must say, I learned a little bit about speaking truth from Miss Etta James. R&B legend and South Los Angeles native Etta James died Friday at Riverside Hospital of complications from leukemia. Miss Etta was 73 years old. She's known for her hits such as At Last, Tell Mama, and Loser Weepers. She would have been 74 on Wednesday. Miss Etta and I have enjoyed celebrating our birthdays each year in the same week. Her rich voice influenced generations of singers who came after her. From Tina Turner to Bonnie Raitt to Christine Aguilera and Beyonce. Flowers were placed on my door this morning in honor of a woman who allowed me to cut my teeth on the music of blues and jazz and rhythm and blues. Miss Etta, as I have always called her, oh, Miss Etta, Miss Etta, Miss Etta, sang the song, girl! She has made American music and blues and rhythm and and blues and jazz so much richer so much deeper and so much steeped in the history of our people and our culture American music will miss her her friends and fans her bands and musicians and the people who cared for her over the years will think fondly back to what she has given us and what we take forward because of her. We laughed with her, we drank with her, we danced with her, and we made love with her. She was music's bad girl in such a good way. I'm Janice Graham, wishing Miss Etta a deeper rhythm and We want to remember now a singer who has died, and not just any singer, one whose voice was so true, so fierce, she changed everything. Etta James passed away after a long battle with leukemia, and she once said, when I'm singing the blues, I'm singing life. It was the song Beyonce serenaded the Obamas with during their first dance at his inauguration. It was a tribute to her idol, 
Oh, in my lonely day. For five decades, Etta James's calling card. Platinum hair, feisty spirit, musical grit. James would write, The bad girls had the look that I liked. I wanted to be rare. I wanted to be noticed. That palpable emotion and raw pain, often attributed to a difficult childhood. Mom left home. She never knew her dad. But she would rise up and break into the male-dominated music industry of the 50s. The first woman to speak up and push back, demanding input in the recordings of her records. She would win four Grammys, but always battling demons, drug addiction, and then disease. Leukemia claimed her life. But it will not silence a voice that lives on when it's silk and it's sad. My love has come along. Lindsay Davis, ABC yeah. News, New York. At last. And peace. Don't break my heart. Don't do it. 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 You took my 
Sada Hawkins in 1938. We are proud to note that she rides us out of here at our common ground every Saturday night with her. You gotta serve somebody. And she was one of the greatest vocalists and entertainers of our time. She now rests in a deep and victorious rhythm. Miss Etta The world is remembering you today and mourning your loss and claiming your greatness and richness. At last, Miss Etta James, farewell but not forgotten. And here we are in heaven For you are mine At and the world saying goodbye to Miss Etta. She was born Jamisetta Hawkins on January 25th, 1938. She would have been celebrating a birthday this Thursday. Her mother was only 14 at the time that she was born, and though her father has never been officially identified She always felt that he was the pool player, Rudolph Minnesota Fats Wanderone. And she did meet him briefly in 1987. Uh, Due to her mother being often absent, carrying on relationships with various men, Etta lived with a series of caretakers, caregivers, 
most notably Sarge and Mama Lou James. And she called her the mystery lady, the mother. She She received her first professional vocal training at the age of five from James Earl Hines, musical director of the Echoes of Eaton Choir at the St. Paul James St. Paul Baptist Church in Los Angeles. James's real mother took to the Fillmore District in San Francisco and within a couple of years James began listening to doo-wop and was inspired to form a girl group called the Creolettes due to the members' light skin complexion. The 14-year-old girls met musician Johnny Otis. Stories on how they met vary, including Otis's version in which James had come to his hotel after one of his performances in the city and persuaded him to audition her. Otis took the group under his wing, helping them to sign to modern records. Later, while on tour with Richard pop singer Georgia Gibbs, James recorded The Wallflower and became a crossover hit. Bobby Murray, a.k.a. Taters, toured with Etta James for 20 years. He wrote that James had her first hit single when she was 15 years of age and went steady with B.B. King when she was 16. Etta James believed the hit single, Sweet 16 by B.B. King, was about her. She was with Chess Records from 1960 to 1978. Uh, Her debut album, At Chess, was At Last, and it was released in 1960. Later in in her career, from 1988 to 2012, she continued to perform little until 1987 when she was seen performing rock and roll music with Chuck Berry on his Hail Hail Rock and Roll documentary. By the 1990s, James's early or classic music was included in commercials, including most notably I Just Want to Make Love to You. Due to exposure of the song in a UK commercial, the song reached the top ten of the UK charts in 1996. In 2004, Rolling Stone magazine ranked her number 62 on their list of the 100 great artists of all times. James's musical style changed during the course of her career. When beginning her, her recording career in the mid-50s, James was marked as an R&B and doo-wop singer. After signing with Chess, In 1960, James broke through as a traditional pop-style singer covering jazz and pop music. She was hospitalized in January 2010 to treat an infection caused by MRSA, a bacterium that is resistant to antibiotic treatment. During her hospitalization, her son revealed that James had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease in 2008 and attributed her previous comments about Beyonce Knowles to drug-induced dementia when um, um, when uh, Etta James uh, made a public statement about Beyonce Knowles singing her hit at last. 
she was diagnosed with leukemia in 2011, and the illness was announced as terminal by Dr. Elaine James in December 2011. And you will recall, if you were with us on December 16th, we did a very uh, short tribute to Miss Etta James. During her career, she encountered a string of legal problems in the 1960s due to her heroin addiction. She was continuously in and out of rehabilitation centers uh, in Los Angeles. Her husband, Artis Mills, whom she married in 1969, accepted responsibility when they were both arrested for heroin possession and served a 10-year prison sentence. He was released from prison in 1982 and was still married to Etta at her death. She was also arrested about around the same time for her drug addiction, accused of cashing bad checks, forgery, and possession of heroin. In 1974, she was sentenced to drug treatment instead of serving time in prison. In 2010, she received treatment for a dependency on painkillers. But in 1988, at the age of 50, she entered the Betty Ford Center in Palm Springs, California, for treatment, which seems to have been successful. She, from 1989, Etta James received over 30 awards and recognitions from eight different organizations, including the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and Museum, the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences, uh, which organizes the Grammys. In 1993, she was inducted into the Rock and, Hall, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, in 2001, she was inducted into Rockabilly Hall of Fame. In 2003, the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce awarded her a star at 7080 Hollywood Boulevard, a Hollywood Walk of Fame star. And in 2006, Billboard Rhythm and Blues Founders Award was granted to her. She has many Grammy nominations, and has won uh, in 1995 for Mystery Lady Songs of Billie Holiday, in 2004 for her Let's Roll album, Best Contemporary Blues album, and in 2005, Let's Roll, which was awarded the Best Traditional Blues album. The members of the Blues Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization set up in Memphis, to foster blues and its heritage has nominated James for a Blues Music Award nearly every year since its founding in 1990. Etta James was certainly uh, one of the people, uh, musicians, vocalists, stylists, that I most admired. I met Miss Etta James in the living room of my aunt, my mother's younger sister, when I was 10 years old. And she has been one of my favorites since. 
We'll take your calls if you'd like to talk about Etta James, 347-838-9852, right after this break. This is our common ground, and this is Saturday night, open mic.
This is Our Common Ground, and I'm Janice Graham, asking you to give it up and give me your best. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves, broadcasting bold, brave, and black. Welcome to our Saturday night open mic at Our Common Ground. Our number is 347-838-9852. Our Common Ground open mic Saturday night. It's not a test. Give it up. Bring it. Bring me your best. I guess I shouldn't feel so good because uh, the word is out. Newt Gendrich won the South Carolina primary. Are we surprised? I'm not surprised. Anybody surprised? If you're surprised, please call me at 347-838-9852 because I want to know why you're surprised. I'm not surprised. He's going to move on to Florida. And he threw down the gauntlet tonight in his, I don't know if you accept a primary or you accept whatever, his speech at the end of the evening. And the neuter said that Obama was clearly a danger to this country. And my response was, what? Some mental health specialist would call that a mechanism of defense projection. My question really is to you tonight, um, have you thought much, have you given any serious thought to Newt Gingrich's throwdown in the debate and his haggling with Juan Williams? You know, I am the last person to defend Juan Williams, the last. But when you've got a whole audience of people and they are clapping for someone who just did a beatdown on the commentator, I mean, that's, that's Newt's style. He's done it in every debate. And I don't know why... Uh, we're not asking question. Why won't black people let Newt Gingrich help them? <laughs> <I've>, <laughs> I mean, it is racial politics at its best, if you can stand it. You know, they rumbled over the proposed child janitors, and one of the things that doesn't surprise me is that Juan Williams didn't push back. And the same night, a citizen of, I call them Pavlovian crackers, you know, Pavlov's experiment, test, syndrome, who was a supporter of Newt Gingrich, 
stood up and made a speech and said, hey, I'm glad you put Juan Williams in his place. And you know what the rest of it, I, I know people in my chat room, Doc, Doc Don and, and, and Shaka and, and Alpha, I know you all know what the rest of that is, and you can call in and tell us what the rest of it is. But one of the things that I did have confidence in is that we have friends. We have friends in South Carolina. So I decided to turn to my friend, the civil rights worker, human rights worker, political analyst, and friend of Our Common Ground who's been on this show many, many times, to get his take as to where we were going with this racial baiting that went on in South Carolina. He is a South Carolina activist. And um, we're going to take a little time to hear what Kevin Gray had to say. To take a look inside the South Carolina primary for the Republican Party, we turn to our Common Ground Voices friend and eternal warrior, Kevin Alexander Gray. He is an activist and organizer in the state of South Carolina for many years. He is well known for his excellence in news and political analysis. Let's take a listen here at Our Common Ground to our friend, Kevin Gray. You recently said black Americans should demand jobs, not food stamps. You also said poor kids lack a strong work ethic and propose having them work as janitors in their schools. Can't you see that this is viewed at a minimum as insulting to all Americans, but particularly to black Americans? No, I don't see that. What I tried to say, and I think it's fascinating because Joe Klein reminded me that this started with an article he wrote 20 years ago. New York City pays their janitors an absurd amount of money because of the union. You could take one janitor and hire 30-some kids to work in the school for the price of one janitor, and those 30 kids would be a lot less likely to drop out. They would actually have money in their pocket. They'd learn to show up for work. They could do light janitorial duty. They could work in the cafeteria. They could work in the front office. Office, they could work in the library. They'd be getting money, which is a good thing if you're poor. Only the elites despise earning money. But Governor, the suggestion that you made was about a lack of work ethic. And i got to tell you, my email account, my Twitter account has been inundated with people of all races who are asking if your comments are not intended to belittle the poor and racial minorities. You saw some of this reaction during your visit to a black church in South Carolina. You saw some of this during your visit to a black church in South Carolina where a woman asked you why you refer to President Obama as the food stamp president. It sounds as if you are seeking to belittle people. Well, first of all, Juan, the fact is that more people have been put on food stamps by Barack Obama than any president in American history. 
put pit one group against another, particularly racially. Uh, there was an interesting moment earlier this week in Greer, South Carolina. I was in with Rick Perry, obviously, before he dropped out, and he was talking to a group at the Southern Times Cafe, right around the corner from the Dixie Shoe Shop, and he said it's important that we, we, we construct a campaign in which we have a sharp, bright contrast to Barack Obama. And then he went on to say, we don't need a lighter version of Obama. Extraordinary thing to say. Clearly, that wasn't even coded racial language. That was racial language designed to inflame and to rally uh, a really vestigial force within the Republican Party in South Carolina. Uh, and that is exactly the group that Newt Gingrich hopes to saddle when he so clearly confronts Ron, uh, Juan Rip Williams in that debate. You have this white man basically talking in a very condescending way to a rather, a rather established and accomplished black man. Uh, this is a message, not just what Gingrich said, but the way he said it to voters in South Carolina, to northern Florida, northwestern Florida, uh, and to other states later if this thing continues in the Republican nomination primary. I wanted to go back to a reference Kevin Alexander Gray made. Um, that was to Newt Gingrich's comment about President Andrew Jackson. I'm not sure how many people heard this or understood the reference during Monday's debate. We're in South Carolina. South Carolina in the Revolutionary War had a young 13-year-old named Andrew Jackson. He was sabered by a British officer and wore a scar his whole life. Andrew Jackson had a pretty clear-cut idea about America's enemies, killed them. Shortly after the debate, uh, Indian Country Today published an article entitled, Newt Gingrich Loves Indian Killer Andrew Jackson pointing out that Jackson was the architect of the Indian Removal Act. The paper described the act as, quote, America's legalization of ethnic cleansing. Kevin. Well, and a lot of people didn't pick up on that. And, and uh, I'm glad that someone, and I'm glad, Amy, that you brought that out, because you had people in South Carolina, which I said, you know, was probably the saddest thing for me to watch on TV was, as a South Carolinian, I was embarrassed that there were people who probably didn't know uh, Andrew Jackson's history in the in the in the uh, in the the extermination and the genocide of Native Americans. Cheering that it made us look bloodthirsty. But then again, you can't disconnect bloodthirstiness from racism and 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 white supremacy and and this idea of. Um, of not wanting a lighter version of Barack Obama, that goes to uh, Mitt Romney's uh, religion. So all these not even uh, coded, not even hid, hidden uh, uh, racist attacks on people, you know, people need to continue to call it out. I'm never surprised. I'm never surprised when, when politicians such as Newt Gingrich, when you look back at, at his history and this idea of, of – uh, playing to the Tea Party, which plays to this idea that black people are less human and, 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 and less moral than everybody else. At, you know, we've got to continue to say that this is racism. And, of course, it doesn't help 
when the Democrats do it, too, because Barack Obama came into South Carolina and someone asked him, well, how do you deal with the economic problems in the black community? And the first thing he said was, well, I think it would be a good thing if the black community picked up paper and started picking up cans in the community. And to me, there's no difference in a Barack Obama going into a church and saying, black men, you need to be men, and, and Newt Gingrich saying that, um, that black folk want to stand in line and, and accept food stamps. There's no difference in that kind of racial politics. I'd like to ask about an, another issue that has featured prominently in the Republican debates. At last night's debate, former Massachusetts Governor Mitt Romney and former Pennsylvania Senator Rick Santorum sparred over their stances on undocumented immigration. You build a fence, you have enough Border Patrol agents to secure the fence, and you also have a system of giving to people who come here legally an identification card, and you expect employers and insist that employers check that card before they hire someone. If they don't check the card, if they don't run it through the U.S. database and get an instant response from the government or from MasterCard, Visa, American Express, or whomever, then those, those employers are going to get severely sanctioned. If you do that, we solve the problem of illegal immigration. And with regards to those that have come here illegally now, we're not going to round them all up and deport them, but we're also not going to give them a preferential pathway to become permanent residents or citizenships. citizens. They need to go back home apply for citizenship, apply for permanent residency, like everyone else, coming here illegally should not give you an advantage in being able to become a permanent resident of the United States. You have the same view, Senator? And if you want to be an American, the first thing you should do is respect our laws and obey our laws. And... And the idea that someone, whether it's, whether it's either of these two gentlemen, well, the idea that someone who came here and lived here 25 years has only broken one law. If they've worked for 25 years, they've been breaking the law for 25 years. If they've been working, they have probably stolen someone's Social Security number, and they've committed Social Security fraud. They've, this, this is not just a single occurrence. It's an ongoing issue. And if we treat people like that differently than we do with a mother who, in a desperate situation, goes out and, and shoplifts or does something and gets thrown in jail, what do we say? That we're going to treat people in this country who do things for their family differently than those who are here illegally? I don't think so. Uh, Kevin Alexander, Gray, the issue of immigration, how does that play out in South Carolina, which has had also an increasingly large uh, Hispanic population, and especially in terms of the views of the Republican candidates? Well, obviously, as you know, they're passing laws to try to restrict who, where uh, so-called undocumented aliens can work. Uh, they've tried to prescribe punishments for people that hire undocumented aliens. Um, you know, it would, the Republican Party in South Carolina would like to use brown people the same way they use black people, as punching bags. Um, you know, and they mention Ronald Reagan when it's convenient. They never mention that Ronald Reagan said, tear down this wall. Instead, they talk about building a wall. They never mention that Ronald Reagan, I believe it was, was the first person that talked about a pathway to citizenship. They only use Ronald Reagan when it's convenient. So, at, but of course, we, what, we had 100,000 people deported from this country last year. As a progressive, I believe in open borders. I, I know that New Mexico is named New Mexico for a reason, and, and people ought to understand the history of that. But, you know, obviously, it's a, and that's straight out of the Karl Rove strategy, it's about pitting 
white people against everybody else. And that's a, uh, just a key part of the Republican playbook. Um, I want to turn to Wayne Slater finally to talk about the meeting of the most influential social conservatives that took place this past week. But before we do that, I wanted to go back to Ronald Reagan's 1980 speech at the Neshoba County Fair in Mississippi, just a few miles from Philadelphia, Mississippi, the site of the 1964 murders of civil rights workers James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, and Michael Schwerner. This was Reagan's first speech after accepting the Republican nomination for president. That was uh, Ronald Reagan um, uh, speaking in Mississippi. But Wayne Slater of the Dallas Morning News, uh, there was this meeting that took place in your state, in Texas, of um, some of the country's most influential social conservatives. Can you talk about who they were, their significance, and their endorsement? Absolutely. Uh, I call it the uh, religious industrial complex in Washington. These were the power brokers among social conservatives involved in politics in the country. Richard Land, who uh, is with the Southern Baptists. Um, of course, James Dobson, <clears throat> who was very, very influential. Um, Don Wildman, who heads a group out of Mississippi that sponsored and is sponsoring the response prayer rallies, the Rick Perry prayer rally in Houston that preceded his entry into the race. Gary Bauer. Others, these are key figures, the most important figures, I think, in political, social, conservative life in the United States. And their concern was that Mitt Romney was going to run away with the nomination and that there was an effort, an effort to be made, at least they were going to try to make that effort, to rally around somebody else, a social conservative. And what happened was at that meeting, was a reflection of how divided social conservatives continue to be. On the one hand, you had some Newt Gingrich practical folks who said, look, he's a tough guy, he's got a lot of baggage, but he's calling, he's talked about redemption and, and, and asking uh, uh, God for uh, forgiveness. He ought to be our nominee. On the other hand, the majority wanted Rick Santorum, who's much stronger on their issues, but seen as weaker as a potential candidate against Romney. The highlight of that meeting for me was a moment when James Dobson, ostensibly the most influential social conservative leader in this country, talked privately to his group, 100 to 150 people, and said, do we want a first lady, he was talking about Clarissa uh, Gingrich, do we want a first lady who was an eight-year mistress uh, of, of, of our nominee? The room froze. And it really underscored the division within the party. Some social conservatives say they cannot forgive Newt Gingrich or at least make him a nominee. Some social conservatives say we must do it. They emerged with a supposed endorsement or consensus candidate, but there's been infighting ever since. Last question to Kevin Alexander Gray about a man we haven't talked about yet, uh, Ron Paul, uh, what he is appealing to generally and in South Carolina, and how you feel about him. Well, the Libertarian and, uh, of course, Ron Paul's television advertisements in South Carolina feature a black man. Now, and I know he's made several buys in the uh, on black radio. Romney has done direct mail to black voters in South Carolina. 
But, you know, if the progressive community, from my perspective, if they want to make sure that the anti-war message, anti-imperial message remains on the table all the way to the Republican convention, and being that there's no Democratic primary, you know, I've been telling people, unless you're going to be a delegate to the convention or you're a party uh, officer, then why not go into the Republicans' house and influence at least that very narrow part of the, the dialogue, the anti-war, anti-imperial, anti-national um, defense authorization bill, anti-patriot act. Uh, th those issues are important, and, and, and Ron Paul keeps those issues on the table. I think he'll probably come in a, a, a third, probably get a lot of the old NATO vote. But, um, you know, obviously, black folks and Democrats are set to vote for Barack Obama as an expression of their dissatisfaction with, with the Republican Party. They're not that willing to get into the Democrat Republican primary and, and kick over some chairs, which I think they ought to. I thought that this uh, conversation, this discussion uh, hosted by Amy Goodman of Democracy Now! with um, uh, is one of the most salient discussions of the real issues that rise out of both the debate and the primary race, uh, GOP primary race in South Carolina. You know, um, I would like your response about why Juan Williams uh, seem to have tailored the question uh, in a way which was parallel to a prepared response that Newt Gingrich would have. I mean, more than Romney, Santorum, or, or Paul, Gingrich sells himself to voters by putting, by, by putting the bully in bully pul pulpit. His stump speeches consist largely of giving his audience the illusion that the problem with the current president that he has has substantial intelligence. I mean, Gingrich's most reliable laugh line is the concession that he'd let President Obama use a teleprompter. And they're never going to happen, Lincoln-Douglas debates. You know, um, he explained that the administration's decision to block the construction of the Keystone XL pipeline was stupid. He uses words like stupid. Um, one of the things he said is that the White House doesn't understand chess. It's another to say that they can't understand checkers, but if they can't play tic-tac-toe, well, you know, you get the picture. This kind of anger and his ability to channel that anger in others explains why Gingrich's performance in this debate when he dismissed uh, Juan Williams' suggestion that he was playing to racial stereotypes by denigrating food stamps has resonated so deeply. Um, if you if you read um, the piece on by Mother Jones on on uh, Gingrich uh, in South Carolina, one of the things that that they wrote uh, reported is that. Some woman or a man, I'm not sure it was, said something like, I am so tired personally of racial prejudice 
the way blacks are handling it. If you weren't racially prejudiced, it makes you racially prejudiced. And Gendra's retort to Williams went beyond a simple debating coup. It was cathartic. And, and, And this voter said, when I hear the wands of the world, I get upset. I mean, all of this has gone on since Monday. We want to get your response to all of this. Um, Our number is 347-838-9852. My question is this. Has the world been silent on the way in which Newt Gingrich has been so offensive about the food stamp president. I mean, we seem to be shying away from it. If there had been more people, if it were factually accurate, which it is not, that have gone on to food stamps during the Obama administration, it is rational and reasonable to calculate that they have because of the trashing of of the economy during eight years of the Bush administration. And if this president, if it were factually accurate, had put more people on food stamps, he was simply providing a way for American citizens to have food at a time when they could not afford it. So we should have applauded it, and we did not. Uh, Doc Don is saying in our chat room that the neuter will be on Reverend Sharpton's show, Politics Nation, on MSNBC on Monday. I don't know if that's a good thing or it's a bad thing. Uh, I'm... Quite frankly, I'm a little tired of giving these people uh, play. Um, But I understand that there was a situation that went on uh, between um, one of Newt's supporters and Reverend Al Sharpton sometime during the week. And as a result, there was some back and forth between the Gendrich campaign and Reverend Sharpton, and Reverend Sharpton has been inviting him to appear and come and debate the issues. I'm not so sure that's a good thing. You know, last night I had a situation on TruthWorks Network when I called in to the uh, Enter the Lion's Den show where a woman asserted that I should not be so angry that she felt sorry for me that I was so angry. Um, Okay, fine. And I certainly did inform her that um, my anger, which I'm not sure that um, where she got that I was so angry, that I was um, extraordinarily angry but that my anger comes from. On Monday, I will be celebrating my 62nd birthday. 
Happy birthday to me, right, Alpha? <laughs> I would have been celebrating um, a birthday week with Etta James. Uh, but um, let's get this straight. We are still allowing people like Newt Gingrich to frame the discourse, to frame and define the principles. You're listening to Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll take your calls at 347-838-9852 and further look at the hypocrisy coming out of the GOP. How about this? And then to know that uh, Reverend Al Green was here. guys didn't think I would do it. I told you I was going to do it. And the Sandman did not come out. I, I, uh, don't worry, Rev. I, I cannot sing like you, but I, didn't, I just wanted to show my appreciation. Uh, <laughs> This is Our Common Ground, and I'm Janice Graham, asking you to give it up and give me your best. Our Common They say if you want a wish to come true, never tell anyone. But there is one wish that can make the difference between life and death. And this wish can only come true if you tell someone. Please, let your family know you want to be an organ donor. We invite you to join us on TruthWorks Network, Monday nights, Global Village Voices, with Peter E. Matthews, Mondays, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, where your world just gets better and bigger. Global Village Voices at TruthWorks Network, Mondays, 9 p.m. Peter E. Matthews will be listening for you. Your Monday just got better. Global Village Voices, 9 p.m. We know what to do on your radio. It's TruthWorks Network. Georgia on 
comes as sweet and clear as moonlight through the vine. to demean her, or I'm not as, you know, into the sexist mode, but 
you 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 have to wear the rules that you have inflicted. Well, and you know was, they they were willing they were willing to take down Ginger White, and um, Ginger White essentially was not having the kind of affair with uh, Herman Cain that Callista was having with Newt Gingrich. And the fact that the hypocrisy of it all, of this man, the unmitigated audacity of him to ever have said anything about the uh, Lewinsky affair with Bill Clinton. I mean, in on the national theater, he was perpetrating a lie. Oh, that's what they but do. It doesn't matter. He does. It, it doesn't exactly. matter. I, 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 right before the break, I said he speaks. He is a bully in the pulpit, and he speaks the anger and the angst and the racist attitude of the people he reached out to in South Carolina. And see, the people, and here's the thing about the people of South Carolina, and I'm going to say this as bluntly as I can. When you get down to the part where he's the serial adulterer and all of these things, oh, he admitted to it, and he asked for forgiveness. Well, excuse me. Well, he hasn't admitted to, he hasn't talked about, and no one has challenged him on the points of contention regarding the ethics violations when he was a member of the House and was ex- and and essentially was expelled. Well, that's, that's they went that's, after that's, him. They got him. They found him guilty of the violations, and he had to leave because the next step would have been prosecution. Well, exactly. He left. He left in disgrace, and his replacement soon left right behind him in the same kind of scandal and disgrace. It's because My, the GOP always has a strategy, and unfortunately, the Democrats never have one. When well, when Jim, what's his name, um, went in after into the Speaker's chair after a Newt, the Newt. Was it Livingston? Was it Jim Livingston? Yes. Okay. And they, he, in, he was positioned to carry on the agenda of the Southern strategist in the House, the the, the contract on America. That's right. how he got into the job, and and it and this strategy goes on and on, and it's perpetrated against the American people. It's and, and and the American people who are poor, who are of color, who are not of the establishment, who is not part of the corporate landscape, and the powerful. And this has been going on for so long, and I call them the Pal- Pavlovian crackers because they do not see how their interest is being nullified by these people. All they see is a black president in the White House and a white man who says, I'll take him out. That's right. all they see. And in Luke's speech tonight, he was 
trying to make these contrasting differences by projecting the president as being exactly what he is and by projecting himself as being something other than what he is. And it's just about framing. It's about messaging. And I'm sorry, you know, if the Democrats don't, you know, and I, I don't think he needs to be, there, there, there won't be a great need. See, his biggest fight, Gingrich's biggest fight is going to come from the right wing. They know he's unelectable, and he destroys their chance. If any chance that they would have with Romney, he destroys it. And that's, that's what they're, they're pulling their hair out over this double-digit victory he has had in South Carolina. One of the things as they go into Florida, and I'm not sure about the other southern states, Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee. Tennessee will operate the same way as South Carolina, I think, and Georgia will operate the same as South Carolina. But one of the things that... He's from Georgia, right? Yeah, he is from Georgia. Oh, well, One of the things... going to come into play is this, that there are two factions within Florida in the GOP. You've got southern, north and central Florida. You've got south Florida. Now, north and central Florida might as well be South Carolina or might as well be Georgia. But in South Florida, you've got the migration of people from states like Michigan, New York, Massachusetts, uh, New Hampshire, um, Connecticut, and Maryland and the Washington, D.C. area. That's a migration. And most of those people who have migrated generally fall in the Democratic Party. But there are some who fall in the GOP. There are some who are migrating to South Florida because of the migration of high-tech manufacturing companies like Motorola, et cetera, et cetera. And now South Florida is becoming a big software development um, uh, center. So, and then you've got the GOP who are Cubans. Now, Mitt Romney has a good strategy. He's going to go down there and he's going to slap Fidel Castro around. But the traditional established power establishment in Florida is going to have a very, very difficult time supporting Newt Gingrich. In South Florida, he is going to get very little support. So I think Florida is going to turn for Mitt. Mittens. Mitty. (laughs) So, you know, uh, and the other thing that people don't understand and really need to to, to bone bone up on is Mitt Romney is seen as a superhero, in capital development of businesses. 
He knows how to find the money. He knows how to make the money. He proved it over a 12-year period. He was only at Bain for 12 years. But that is going to be something that's going to turn in some of these states for him. So there you go. Well, I think the the bit about him making money. See, when he was when Bain Capital is just as much a dark cloud for him. Because he speaks about the four companies that that, that made him and created jobs. He doesn't speak about the other companies that they lost jobs and went and basically went belly up. But they didn't just go belly up. He went in and they borrowed and leveraged against the company assets. They used well, 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 that money to get there. That they is true, tax- and he and he's lying when he says he generated a hundred thousand jobs through Bain. He he he's not talking about you know. I'll give you one example. Alpha is uh, Staples, uh, the office um, supply um, retail. Uh, and di- distributor. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I think I'm getting your cold, Alpha. But uh, one of the things is that they, he dismisses in his facts is that companies like Staples already had um, the numbers of employees, and they doubled their, their employee base simply because Bain found the money for them to expand. So Bain wasn't doing anything but being a capital holding company for some of these uh, these companies. And and Newt Gendry I mean and Mitt Romney is lying about what Bain really was. Exactly. And my whole point is this there were four or five companies that were successful according to their version of success. Yeah. But there were many, many more where they took taxpayer dollars that they leveraged to buy up the assets, and they took advantage, and they walked away with millions as they simply cast aside employee pensions that the government had to cover under the Pension Act. That's right. And all That's of right. that needs to be exposed. This isn't just about his offshore dealings and the criminals that he does business with. This is about fame capital, and we've turned it into a thing of envy and a dislike for capitalism. No, he is a vulture capitalist. And that's why the, 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 the right-wing establishment is so angry that they have allowed this to come to light because it, well, it shines a light on the entire subject. Well, one of the things that uh, people have to be very careful about, other politicians and especially people uh, on the right, the conservative right, they have to be very careful about, is because Bain was not the only company, large company in this country that was doing that. And some of these Democrats are going to get caught in the crossfire when they start raising the issue about what these companies we're all about. I want. I want, I want to play. A, can you stay with me for a few minutes? I want to play a, a clip that really lays out. 
I'm I'm trying to get to what the average U.S. citizen voter person has to learn about these candidates and has to really begin to filter and take a critical look at. And that is the basic hypocrisy in which they have shrouded and defined their candidacy. I'm running for office for Pete's sake. Who is this guy? Can you trust him? I have never supported the President's Recovery Act, all right, the stimulus. No time, nowhere, no how. Uh, I think there is need for economic stimulus. You're only allowed a certain number of flips before people begin to doubt your character. The big issue uh, with Mitt Romney has been the issue of abortion. Has he flip-flopped on abortion? I will preserve and protect a woman's right to choose. The right next step in the, in the fight to preserve the sanctity of life is to see Roe v. Wade overturned. He was pro-choice, then he's pro-life. Or he flip-flops again, just like he did on abortion, just like he did on Ronald Reagan. Look, I was an independent during the time of Reagan-Bush. I'm not trying to return to Reagan-Bush. The principles that Ronald Reagan espoused are as true today as they were when he spoke them. There you go again. You remember Mitt Romney? He invented Obamacare before he was against it. You remember? Well, that's what we did in Massachusetts, and that is we put together an exchange, and the president's copying that idea. I'm glad to hear that. Obamacare is bad news, and if I'm president of the United States, I will repeal it. I don't think I've ever hired an illegal in my life. We hired a lawn, a lawn company to, to mow our lawn, and they had illegal immigrants that were working there. Flip-flop myth. But I believe the world is getting warmer. I believe that humans contribute to that. My view is that we don't know what's causing climate change on this planet. Mitt Romney's reputation as a flip-flopper who changes position because of, of political expedience. If Republicans didn't like Mitt Romney's position on the so-called union-busting proposal in Ohio, all they had to do is wait one day before he changed it. I'm not speaking about the, uh, the particular ballot issues. But by today, Romney had a different answer. I fully support Governor Kasich's, uh, I think it's called Question 2 in Ohio. He's changed his position on a number of issues. Republican Mitt Romney says he will not sign a no new taxes pledge. I'm proud to be the only major candidate for president to sign the tax pledge. Your view has changed so dramatically. I just signed a piece of legislation extending the ban on certain assault weapons. I do not support any new legislation of an assault weapon ban nature. Experts are predicting kind of a tough fight between Romney and his biggest ideological opponent, Mitt Romney from four years ago. <laughs> Those guys don't agree on anything. And there are two Mitt Romneys. This guy has played both sides of the fence with equal fervor. The tarp got paid back and it kept the financial system from collapsing. So you feel it was well worth it? Well, it was the right thing to do. Tarp ought to be ended. Tarp ought to be ended. Mitt Romney flip-flopped again. He's trying to take credit for saving the auto industry. I'm not willing to sit back and say too bad for Michigan, too bad for the bad for the car industry. After he proposed letting the auto industry die. That's exactly what I said. Let Detroit go bankrupt. Let Detroit go bankrupt. You're only allowed a certain number of flips before people begin to doubt your character. 
I think people understand that I'm a man of uh, steadiness and constancy. Who is this guy? Can you trust him? Mitt Romney's reputation as a flip-flopper who changes position. He's changed his position on a number of issues. The mixed messages are what did it. Some people are going to see those changes of mind as awfully politically convenient. It's an issue of character. The core issues for a man, as you said earlier, who doesn't seem to have a core. I'm running for office. The core challenge of America is that beyond the words is a real question of policy and a real question of values and a real question of seriousness. It's a real question of policy. We don't always see eye to eye, do we, Newt? No, but we do agree our country must take action to address climate change. Newt Gingrich has been on both sides of a long list of issues, sometimes in the same week. I don't think right-wing social engineering is any more desirable than left-wing social engineering. With allies like that, who needs the left? It cuts Paul Ryan off at the knees. It supports the Obama administration. There is no explanation for it. And a real question of value. value. question of value. If you want to put people in jail, let's look at the politicians who created the environment, the politicians who profited from the environment, the politicians who profited from the environment. Newt Gingrich on the defense for taking one and a half million bucks. After he left Congress, Freddie Mac paid Gingrich at least $1.6 million. $1.6 million, some of it just before the housing market collapsed. Newt Gingrich can ridicule Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac publicly while privately pocketing millions. That's hardcore lobbying, and that's what Newt Gingrich was doing. The Politicians who profited from the environment. There are now reports about controversial ties to the health care industry. A think tank founded by Newt Gingrich collected at least $37 million from major health care companies. The group supports individual mandate. Newt Gingrich renewed his support for an individual mandate, a key tenet of President Obama's health care law. The support for an individual mandate? Folks, don't ask me to explain this. And a real question of seriousness, serious question of seriousness. Everything that Gingrich railed against when he was in the House, he went the other way when he got paid to go the other way. You're an embarrassment to our well, party. He's flipped and flopped based on who's paying him. He's demonstrating himself to be the very essence of the Washington insiders. It's about serial hypocrisy. It's wrong to go around and adopt radically different positions. Because then people have to ask themselves, what will you tell me next time? Like I said, it's about being timid, about stopping them. This is easy stuff. This is easy. You 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 raise the the question of trust, and you tie it into the offshore. Can you trust his parents' fair share? Can you trust that he's not doing business with criminals? Can you trust that somehow? He has not been stealing taxpayer money in his dealings with Bain Capital and leaving these companies and these people out of jobs. All of this is about trust. And, and you see what they're doing. They're using hypothetical speculation and lies. Oh, this is the president of food stamps, or this is the president who 
has this uh, European socialist stack. You know, this is about the ability to stand up and fight back. And I, you're right. I don't know if this administration can do it or if they have the guts to do it. But it's so, it, this is low-hanging fruit. Look at what they're offering up as compared to what's there. You have someone who's, who thinks our problems. His foreign, they're even attacking his, his, foreign, um, his foreign policy credentials. How is that possible? He's killed more terrorists. He got Bin Laden. He was instrumental in however you feel about the uh, Libyan situation. The, 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 the Libyan people murdered Muammar Gaddafi, and that's exactly what it was. So however you feel about Muammar Gaddafi, this, what this president did was simply his foreign policy is, is you know, is, you, it's beyond reproach. But they oh, will do know, it with lies. It's, a, it's the same thing. It, it's, it's very similar to, it, to who Newt Gingrich and Mitt Romney have decided to run against if they are to win the primary. This President Obama that they're talking about, it's a made-up one. That's what I'm telling you. They're lying. And they will get I mean, away with the lies. Who is this president that they're talking about? I mean, when, when I really have put the focus here, especially on Mitt Romney. Because Romney is making up a president, a, a President Barack Obama that is only in his mind and at his convenience because he's really not the 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 description and the criticism of the person he's talking about doesn't exist. He's making it up. And no, I mean no, it's no. like he's they're using all of their Google assisted knowledge to make sure that they have the 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 right person to criticize but the person they're criticizing is not the president of these United States well like I said only if we had someone who would stand up to them and expose their lives for what they are this is no it goes. It goes back to, I think that uh, one of the things that this president has got to do is that he's got to have surrogates out there organizing the resistance. And I can't say it more. I've been saying this since the two weeks after he was inaugura- inaugurated. He's got to have a resistance force who speaks back, and it just can't be uh, Reverend Al Sharpton or Michael Eric Dyson or Melissa Harris Perry. It's got to be people who are involved in the political process at the local level. It's got to be you. I hope that they're scrubbing down Blog Talk Radio uh, channels looking for people who can speak the truth 
and fight back on their behalf. If that well, doesn't happen, I, I'm Alpha. One of the things I think one of the reasons, and Doc Don, you might um, in our chat room, you might really identify with this because you know I I have really offended um, LDX and and I've been banned from his show, but. Uh, I don't know what I did, except for I did say, and I shouldn't have, and I apologized to him to hang up on a caller. And I I used my executive producer uh, stick to do that. But my my rage is coming up because this means that we are no further ahead in this thing called racial identity politics than we were in 1950. Well, no different. You know, when when Juan Williams, who I don't have a great deal of regard for, uh, I don't even have a great deal of respect for. But when Juan Williams, who is as accomplished as any of his colleagues, more accomplished, there was no, there are no, uh, there were no other commentators who is as published as Juan Williams on that panel the other night. When he sat there and he simply took it, because see, I know some people like um, Chauncey DeVega and Mark Anthony Neal and uh, Charles Blow, who would have been up on the stage in his face in a, in a hot black minute. And what came to mind, I'll tell you a story, what came to mind, Alpho, um, was... When I was a little girl, I must have been about seven years old, and I, I went on an errand with my father in downtown West Palm Beach into the white merchant area. He had a friend who he had gotten a gift for, and he went to deliver it. It was a white guy who had a business similar to my father's business, and my father told me to sit in the car. Well, of course, at seven years old or eight years old, however old I was, I thought it was much too hot to sit in the car, so I got out of the car and went into the park that we were parked next to. And kids were in the park, and I think you, many of you have heard me tell this story before, were climbing the low-reaching coconut trees. That was a thing that kids did in Florida. You just climbed up the coconut tree that was bent toward the ground and went up at some point on and and to see how far you could go. And uh I also I had some money in my pocket and I bought some pigeon feed from a vendor and was feeding the pigeons and an old white man with a cane started shaking his cane at me and telling me, get out of here. You don't belong here. You can't be here. 
and he kind of frightened me, and I ran toward my father's car, but I also turned around and said, you don't know what you're talking about, old man. Um, You can't tell me where to be. And that was my seven- and eight-year-old retort uh, to being told that uh, I was in a segregated park. So when I watched Juan Williams do that, some of that came up. Um, uh, A situation when I was in an all-white high school and the French teacher said to me, why would a black girl want to learn how to speak French? My French teacher said that to me in front of all of the class. So, um, you know, at some point, we do have to get beyond our response to this and begin to have a strategy. And that strategy has to be, Doc Don, come on with me. And Alpha, you understand. I can't wake up to a morning where Newt Gendridge or Willard Romney is the president. But 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 let's talk about how differently people are going to, Alpha, help me with this, how differently people are going to respond to Mitt Romney's Mormonism. Well, that that was one of the uh, graphics that they put up about the people in South Carolina and the people that cared about the religion. And Luke Gingrich got over 50-something percent of those people. And Mitt Romney uh, got maybe 19%. So his Mormonism came into play, as it will in Alabama and in Georgia and in Mississippi and in Texas. Hmm. Their bigotry knows no bounds. If you are white, then the fundamental question becomes do you hate black, do you hate Mormons more than you hate black people? It doesn't matter. Hate is hate. You can hate one more than you can hate the other, but either way, neither are welcome. Yeah. And that's the bottom line. Mitt Romney not only has a Mormon problem, he has a tax problem, he has a rich man problem. And those are going to weigh against him. But the one thing you can count on is that Mitt Romney is the only one that the established right wing field has a chance against that black guy in the White House. Mm -hmm. And they will do, from this point on, they will do everything, everything in their power. And their power is considerable. So Gingrich just, I think he's totally bitten off more than he can chew. I think that at some point, you know, even if it's not in the next three, he may be seeking to go, you know, the distance, you know, and get to and get to the um, convention. Yeah, they're, they're talking brokered convention. They're talking. They are in total disarray. And the only problem this sitting president seems to have is the color of his skin. And the color of his skin and his his timid and unwillingness 
to stand up to these people who hate him. If he could only just, all we need for him to do is stand up. Something that he was unwilling to do in so many issues that has alienated his base. His base seems to have come home and settled down. But we're about to be taken, you know, back into the deep water. They're allowing them to frame the narrative of uh, this this, uh, president is a, you know, is somehow the worst president in the country's history. And that's what's going to be the bottom line. The truth are fabricated construction of what reality is. Well, as um, Shaka Zulu, who's in our chat room, said coming into the program tonight, it's a sad day, the loss of Etta James, and that we are having a racist, essentially a racist asshole, win a primary in the GOP, no matter what state it's in, but particularly, nothing has changed in South Carolina. And you call him, and Doc Don has called him a race-baiting Neanderthal. So it's a it's a damn shame, and we have to deal with it somehow. And I think the thing to do is that. Uh, When people put you in your place, it is because you allow it. Juan Williams was put in his place because he allowed it. Do not allow it. I think he allowed it a long time ago when he chose to go with his conservative, you know, his conservative feeling. Absolutely not. He has not. And and Although, I and I should, I should really lessons are taught until when until you learn them and he has to learn they are learned absolutely Alpha thank you for being with us we got to get ready to get out of here we're going to do the uh, tribute to Etta again we had a lot of people who were late tardy for the party and well, uh, we're going <laughs> We've got uh, one more call, and then we got to get out of here. Thanks, Alpha. All right. All right. Take care, Jess. 405, you're on the air. Thank you for joining us on Open Mic Saturday night. Well, hello there, Janice and Alpha. The Don. Everybody in the chat room and everyone listening to us, how are you this evening? Good. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I thought I'd try to hang in here. And do the best with what I got. There you go. Alpho, I, I really feel for you, brother, because you was really trying to make it through, man. Yeah, he's, he's sniffling and snorting and, yeah he's, and a, he's a yeah, he's all stuffed up. He's a soldier. Yeah, he is. And that's What's what on your gonna, mind, Don? We're all going to have to be soldiers. Nothing's that's changed right. for us. When you look at the 50s uh, and now, you know, we're regressing as far as our political strength is concerned. 
back then we had uh, McDonnell Douglas versus Green, which uh, opened up some class action uh, headway for us in some of these uh, employment uh, entities, and we had a favorable Supreme Court. And, uh, you know, now, uh, you know, things have just been galvanized uh, all the way to the hard right. And, uh, you know, so black people are going to have to continue doing what we've always done. And that was, uh, that's keep our, our head to the, to the, you know, to the, to the grindstone. That's right. And, 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 uh, continue to, uh, take care of our families. Uh, realize that we need to have uh, our children educated and give them the type of education where they're not going to be just educated, but they're going to be needed in society, that their skills are going to have to be relevant. And, uh, you know, because after all, when you look at it, all you have is family, and family's going to be there for you. Family's going to bury you. Family's going to remember you, and uh, and that's what you got, and that's what You're we right. had. Even though yep. we were brought here against our will, in chains, we were, we lost our languages, we lost our religions, we lost everything. We were just virtually uh, emasculated, and as a result, we were Europeanized, and we were given their religion. We were given uh, their lifestyle and uh, their education. So we must study our history, study our black scholars, uh, pass that on to our offspring so that they don't uh, uh, lack the understanding and knowledge as some of them do with reference to the system of oppression that we live under in this country. You got it. And what, and what you said last night was right on, you know, on LDX's show. You know, I'm sorry that he got offended uh, if he did, but uh, it was it was spot on. And uh, you know, we need to, uh, you know, just like I said, you know, I'm not going to sit back and and forget about, uh, you know, what's happening to us and what has happened to us, and and go on from here. You know, I mean, we act like, uh, uh, you know, look at what. The president had to go through, and what he's going through, him and his family. You know, remember when he was running? Look at all the hatred that was directed his right. toward him. And let and alone now you got a office. publisher of a ma- major newspaper who's talking about assassin, who's writing about assassination against Absolutely. the president of the United States, but he didn't go to jail. See, that's how that works. Hey, Don, I gotta run, but um. Okay. I just wanted to get in a, a few few words and uh, uh, let you know that uh, you know I'm out here listening. So uh, and 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 I feel for Alpha. We wanted to let him know that uh, you know I hope he gets well, <laughs> take care of himself out there. So thank yeah. you, Dennis. I'll be listening. Thank you, Don. You see, Don comes with the law and the and the wisdom that comes with understanding the law. You're listening to Our Common Ground. Thank you so very much for being with us. We're going to pass by this tribute to Etta James on our way out of here. We'll be right here next Saturday night, 10 p.m., speaking truth to power and ourselves. And we can't hold back. 
as Alpha on the Alpha Show, 3 p.m. on Saturday at TruthWorks Network, always says, when law becomes injustice, when injustice becomes law, resistance becomes duty. I'm Janice Graham. Thank you for being with us. R&B legend and South Los Angeles native Etta James died Friday at Riverside Hospital of complications from leukemia. Miss Etta was 73 years old. She's known for her hits such as At Last, Tell Mama, and Loser Weepers. She would have been 74 on Wednesday. Miss Etta and I have enjoyed celebrating our birthdays each year in the same week. Her rich voice influenced generations of singers who came after her. From Tina Turner to Bonnie Raitt to Christine Aguilera and Beyonce. Flowers were placed on my door this morning in honor of a woman who allowed me to cut my teeth on the music of blues and jazz and rhythm and blues. Miss Etta, as I have always called her, oh, Miss Etta, Miss Etta, Miss Etta, sang the song, girl! She has made American music and blues and rhythm and, and blues and jazz so much richer, so much deeper, and so much steeped in the history of our people and our culture. American music will miss her, her friends and fans, her bands and musicians and the people who cared for her over the years will think fondly back to what she has given us and what we take forward because of her. We laughed with her, we drank with her, we danced with her, and we made love with her. She was music's bad girl in such a good way. I'm Janice Graham, wishing Miss Etta a deeper rhythm and peace. We want to remember now a singer who has died, and not just any singer, one whose voice was so true, so fierce, she changed everything. Etta James passed away after a long battle with leukemia, and she once said, when I'm singing the blues, I'm singing life. It was the song Beyonce serenaded the Obamas with during their first dance at his inauguration. It was a tribute to her idol. For five decades, Etta James's calling card. 
platinum hair, feisty spirit, musical grit. James would write, the bad girls had the look that I liked. I wanted to be rare. I wanted to be noticed. That palpable emotion and raw pain, often attributed to a difficult childhood. Mom left home. She never knew her dad. But she would rise up and break into the male-dominated music industry of the 50s. The first woman to speak up and push back, demanding input in the recordings of her records. She would win four Grammys, but always battling demons, drug addiction, and then disease. Leukemia claimed her life. But it will not silence a voice that lives on in its silk and its sad. Come along. Lindsay Davis, ABC yeah. News, New York. been tuned to Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. And don't forget, here, Our Common Ground, each Saturday, 10 p.m., speaking truth to power and ourselves, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Have a great weekend.